Good evening. I was going to say, so it's going to be like that, huh? That's how we're going to do this tonight. It's so good to be with you guys. I just got back from a very long trip. I appreciated your prayers while I was laying on a beach for a week and floating around. And I literally didn't get out of water for a week. I was in Florida. It was awesome. I, I, I was telling friend Tavi, I woke up one morning and I went and got in the pool because it was 90 degrees. And that was the morning I happened to check here and it was 10. <laughs> and I was like, God is good. Yeah, so that was fun. No, I, I, I get this weird thing going on. I, I don't know what it is with me and Gunnison. I, if, if, if you're new to Gunnison, I guess I'll just say it this way. Like, when I got here, like, I hated this place at first. Like, about six months in, I was like, I'm ready to go. I don't want to be here. But if you can make it like a year, I don't know what happens. Like, all of a sudden, like, you have kids, and you have a family, and you're here, and you've been here for 25 years, and you don't know what happened. I talk to people that happened all the time. I have no idea how that happens, but it just seems to happen. But I love this place. I start missing it. It, it, It's kind of a weird thing. My wife and I, last year, we we do a vacation a year. We went on a cruise the year before, and we were on a cruise, and we started talking about how much we wanted to get back home to be back at Bethany and back in Gunnison. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And especially, uh, for those of you who don't know, well, first off, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're back in a series that we've been in for, I think, just over a year now. Um, we're back in Acts again. We're, we're going through the book of Acts, verse by verse. And it's been about a year, and we just hit chapter 5 today. Um, yeah, so we're not, we're not moving at exactly a blazing pace, but we'll get through the whole thing. And, and, and the story we're going to be going over today is actually one that I marked in my calendar a year ago. And I was like, I want that one. I wanted that one. And, and, and you'll see why. It kind of fits with my personality. High body count. Um, people just drop dead for no apparent reason. That kind of thing. You don't get that a ton in the New, in the New Testament, but it, it happens in this story, and I was so excited that it. I, I was I was actually really freaked out that I was going to be out of town on the day when this fell, but I, I didn't. So, um, in, in case you you uh, don't have a Bible, there's some in front of you, but we also are going to have the scriptures up on the screen. But we're going to be in Acts um, chapter five. Well, really, we're going to be starting at the end of chapter four, diving into the first couple verses of chapter five. Um, so if you want to go ahead and go there, we'll get there in a minute. Um, but I want to I pray just before we do this because, man, I, I'm a scatterbrain today. I don't know what is going on. I'm all over the place. Uh, I don't know if, if it's the fact that I'm from Cincinnati and the Bengals won again. I don't know if my equilibrium's thrown off, that we're winning games, or that Denver beat Dallas today. That was weird. Yeah, yeah. Western won three in a row. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm I'm digging it. I love it. I'm I'm I love it, but I don't know what's going on. So, I'm, I I like seriously. Just as a heads up, we we, we may make it through like one verse tonight because I rewrote this sucker about 15 minutes ago. I, I just looked at it. and I was like, nope, that ain't gonna go. And so, um, if you want to get the good one, the one that Tom preached earlier this morning, it'll be up on the podcast by tomorrow morning. So if we go nowhere and you're like, I just wasted an hour of my time, I apologize for that. But we make it free, so I don't feel that bad about it. And if you're here early enough, you got coffee. So I don't feel that bad. So let me pray, 
that my mind will be on track and that uh, God will bless this time that we have together. Father God, uh, I just thank you that we get to come here and we get to do this. Um, God, man, I, I just want to say I'm so sorry for the areas where I fall short and where I've just sinned. Even, even just this evening, I, I repent of that. And um, God, I, I don't understand why I get to share this message. I get to share your word, but, but I do. So I just want to thank you for that, God. I, I pray that you will be touching the hearts of these people in here tonight and that uh, you'll set us on mission for you. God, I pray for people in here maybe who I, I couldn't help but think when we were singing that last song, when I first started coming around church and stuff, it just seemed so weird talking about people bleeding and stuff. I just pray that for some, some way your Holy Spirit will make that make sense and, uh, and help us understand how beautiful that really is. In your name I pray, amen. Cool. All right, so just as a recap where we've been in Acts, and, and, and just so you, so you know this, here's what's basically happened. The new church is born. It's really cool stuff. We always talk about this, and, and it's kind of a little bit of my pet peeve. A little bit, I, I love the book of Acts. I read it constantly. Um, I, this church is in process of becoming part of a network called the Acts 29 Network. We really like the book of Acts around here a lot, but you, a term you hear thrown around a lot is, um, let's be an Acts 2 kind of church. And if you read it on your own, Acts chapter 2, it's what it's talking about. These guys were hardcore. They were selling everything they owned. They were going crazy. They were, miracles were happening. But, 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 but the problem with being an Acts 2 church is you got to be willing to die for it. Because they all did. And so when, I say, when we say, I really want to be an Acts 2 church, I don't know if we really think that through, the implications. Like, I mean, I, I like to say it, but I don't know if I'm really like, my wife's at home right now, and I know that she's making a pizza right now, a homemade pizza. I want to go home and eat that pizza. I don't want to die. Okay, I'm just being, being honest with you on that. And, 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 I, and I know those things. And, and so, and so, but that's what's going on. These people aren't concerned about pizza. They are concerned about the gospel going forward in powerful and mighty ways, and they're doing it. And we already saw a little bit of persecution start to happen in the previous chapters leading up to where we are, where, where, where some of the apostles were, were getting pulled into court and they were saying, don't talk about Jesus. And they go, you, you don't understand. We can't do that. We have to. It's all we can do. And, and, and so you can see it kind of coming. And, and, and all this is going on, and it talks about how everybody's needs was, were, were met. Everybody had everything that they needed. And, and it just sounds like this beautiful picture. And so I want us to pick up in, uh, let's start in uh, verse 36 of chapter 4. Here's what's happening. People are giving away stuff, and we're going to start here. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Just a little biblical note for you. If you really want to like, find out a person's character in the Bible, a lot of times the name that they're given really says a lot about who they are. So Barnabas meant um, encouragement. So obviously Barnabas was great at encouraging. And so that would that, be, I mean, it would be weird to call him. That's Barnabas nowadays. People probably wouldn't get it. But they called him Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is equivalent, basically, to him just looking around and saying, you know what? This church has needs. 
They have needs. And don't worry, I, I can see some people are already going there. This isn't going to be a tithing message. You know, people are already like, look, give me that look. It's not going to be that message. I, I promise it's not going to be that. But, but, but what, what's more important is that Barnabas saw a need. He saw the need, and so he sold a field. He sold what he had. And he came and he laid it out. And, and, and what, what's neat about this here is when it says that he lays it out at their feet, what, what that means is that he entrusted it to them. So many times when we give, it's kind of like, I mean, I do this. It's a conditional giving. If it's for what I want or for how I want it to be used or, 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 or what I, I want you to do with it is determine, is, will determine whether or not I give something to whatever it would be. Not Barnabas. He goes, you know what? I see what's going on. There's miracles coming. The church is exploding. I mean, it's just craziness. And he just sees the need, and he just comes and gives it to him. and says, you guys do whatever you think is needed with this. And so he comes and lays it at their feet. Let's go to the next verse. Chapter 5. This is where it starts getting fun. But a, nam, a, a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3. But Peter said, this is Peter. I'm just making sure we know who this is. Peter being the rock, Peter being the apostle, Peter being um, one of my favorite guys. There's a bumper sticker that I saw. I hate bumper stickers. I'll never buy one, but if I was going to buy one, it would probably be this one. It said, swim like Peter, and it just had a picture of him swimming because he's the dude who jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus. Um, he, he never really saw, thought things through. He's kind of that intense guy, but all of a sudden, he becomes the rock of the church. He becomes this great leader. That's, this is the Peter that we're talking about here. And he says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Let's stop here for a second. I want to explain some of this because I, 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 I get it that a lot of this seems harsh. This message in general is pretty intense. Like the, the, whole, the whole story, what's going on here? I mean, how, it, 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 that, I mean, it, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's, I'm just trying to think this through. That Basically, he rolls in with money to give it to the church, and Peter looks at him and goes, Satan's filled your heart. Why has Satan filled your heart? Because I don't know how Peter knew this. It's called discernment. Uh, but Tom put it really well this morning. He said, I, I wish we could call it like our pastoral superpowers that we just know these things. Doesn't get, I don't get that. I don't, I don't know like if Austin's being a tool or not. I just, I'm just like, he's a good guy. You know, like it, it doesn't come to me that way at all or anything. But to Peter, he's like, like he has the tool meter and he just knows. He's like, tool, why has Satan filled your heart? I mean, I, I don't know how he does that, but he just does. And he looks at him, he's like, why has Satan filled your heart? Because you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It's the key thing. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Verse 5. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. Okay, the, the dude's just sitting there, and he just lied, and then he just dropped over dead. That's what happened. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. Yup. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, let's stop there for a second. I, I, I don't know. For, for me, when I read the Bible, I find a lot of humor in the Bible. I, I mean, th- this story isn't funny. People dying isn't funny. But the fact that this dude just dropped dead and there's guys just waiting there to take him out and bury him, I think is kind of strange. The, the, I, don't know if, I don't know if they were the ushers or what, or they don't, like, I guess at this time you don't have to report this to the authorities. But he drops dead, they take him outside, and they bury him. End of Ananias. Let's see what happens to Sapphira. Any guesses? Verse 8. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, this, this is scary. This is like, almost like horror movie kind of line right here. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Verse 10. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Okay. What do we do with this? Okay, here's one of the things. Before we really dive in, I got to tell you something. This is not a very popular chunk of scripture to preach. You you don't hear this one a lot. But here here at Bethany, and then there's other churches, like we are really committed to not skipping over anything, and we have to deal with this and what it means. And and so what I want to tell you is what it's not first, and then we'll dive into what it is. This is not a message about how if like the, the plate, which we don't pass at the evening service, if the plate comes around and you're like looking in your wallet and you got like a $10 bill and a $20 bill and you're like the $10 bill, doesn't mean you're going to drop over dead. That's not what we're saying here. That's not the point of the message. I just want to be really clear on that. Actually, this message has nothing to do with money. It has Nothing to do with it. Now, is money a big part of it? Let's just be honest here, right? Because doesn't money a lot of time drive our motivations? For a lot of us, I, it does for me. So it, it's not about money in the sense that it's, it's talking about that, but it deals with that because that's probably something that most of us can really grasp to. Well, wouldn't it be hard? Let's just put it... One of the things I really want to make sure that we don't do is we don't do the whole Pharisee game. And the Pharisee game is, is, is this game, is when we, we read the Bible and we read about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are always the hated ones. They're the, they're the mean guys running around, always yelling at everybody. We'd always go, man, I hate those Pharisees. I'd never be like those guys. Yes, you would. Okay? Let's just be honest. If we were there in that time, let's just not play that game. Because if you had this land and you just sold it and you got all this money... Do you not think you would be tempted to be like, you know what? They talk about Barnabas a lot. Man, he's the encourager, right? He's this great guy, and we read about him later in the Bible too. He's this great guy. 
I want to be, I want to be like Barnabas. So let's do this, but let's put a little side for ourselves. Let's go have some fun. Let's go do this thing or, um, let's, let's get the, the three camel garage or let's, um, I, I, what did Tom say this morning? He said, get, get, get the gold pass to Mount Sinai for the winter. You know, <laughs> let's put it aside and, and, and keep that around for, I'd, I'd do it. I, I'd do it here. That's one of the worst things about being a preacher, man, is you read this stuff. I'm just like, crap, I got to fix this before I teach it. And not even like, I, and trust me, I'm not saying I'm, I'm coming to you with this message and like that it's fixed and I'm all better. That's why we call it progressive. It takes time. But, but understanding that, that there's a lot of things that, yeah, I, I give my 10%, but my 10% doesn't really make me hurt. And I'm just talking about tithing there for me. I'm not talking about it in the, in the sense of the message. That, that's your call and what you need to do with that. And, and we could talk about that another time. But I'm just saying for me, deeply convicting. I spent $192 on a hotel room this week. And like, I mean, is there anything wrong with that? No. But did my heart first go, man, I could really give to what God wants me to do with this. You know, there's a balance there. And let's just be honest, let's not be legalistic with this stuff. I just want us to be aware of that. I'm just saying for me, it's a tough thing. And I don't want us to play this game like, oh, there's Ananias and Sapphira. I wouldn't have been like them. Because I think we would have a little bit more than we'd like to admit. So that's what it's not. What is this about? What is this about? It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about, well, why do you do this, this church thing? Um, why are you here? Seriously, have you ever thought about how ridiculous this is? Have you ever listened to how weird our songs are? I love them to death and I've grown to love them so much. I didn't come from a Christian home. I talked about that in my prayer a little bit ago. I remember showing up to a church and they're singing these songs. And I'm like, these people are nuts. Let me get this straight. He's coming back on a white horse, right, in the sky? Cool. But, but, but seriously, why are we here? Well, why was there over 200 people sitting in here this morning? Why is there over 3 billion people doing this Jesus thing? Why? Here's my fear, uh, and I, I didn't think I was going to go here, but I'm going to anyways. Here's my fear for us. Is that if this is a game, it's a really silly, stupid game, then you should probably quit. If it's a game, if, 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 if the cross doesn't hurt your soul a little bit, the fact that... that, that what I've done in my life took my God, and I'm, I'm just going to break it down really simple here. The God who's sitting in heaven in perfection humiliated himself and became a baby born in a 
feeding trough. And, and, and I talked about this last time I preached. The, the, I, it just blows my mind that God put himself into a position where he couldn't even talk or go to the bathroom under and, like, and clean his own diaper. God of the universe did that. And then he came down and, and then he lived this life and he, he lived in this garbage and, and he was a construction worker. He hammered nails. Then he spent three years of his life being homeless and walking around and telling people things and ticking a lot of people off. I, I got news for you. Just so you know this, Jesus didn't get killed because he was a homeless guy and just walked around and told people he was God. He did offensive things. He said, I am God. He said, I am the only way. He laid it out thick. He got killed because he was offensive. Not because he was a nice guy, like I think a lot of us like to believe. Is this a game? Are you here tonight because you're like, you know what? I want to be changed. I want to be set on mission to change my community, to change my heart, to change my life. And, and I am primarily speaking to Christians tonight. Those who said, I want to follow Jesus. And if you're not, you, you kind of came in on a cool spot because you're going to get some insight into kind of our garbage, our, our, our baggage, our luggage a little bit, you know? You get to see how imperfect we are. What, what's going on in this story is not that deep. It's people who wanted to seek the approval of man over God. They wanted people to look around and go, look at what they did. That's me. I, I mean, I gotta be honest. I have to take a time before I come up here. And I, ha and like, I mean, it's fear and trembling because I'm, I'm just going, God, how come I want so badly for these people that I'm about ready to give this message to to think I did a really good job? Well, my prayer isn't, God, I want somebody to come to know you better. I want somebody to come to know you for the first time. I want somebody to experience you. I want somebody to love you. And I do want those things. Let me get that straight. But that is not the cry of my heart most of the time, and I wish it was. So I have four questions for us from this story. Four questions. One is, is this spiritual thing this Jesus, this God, this Holy Spirit, this cross, is it a mask for you? Is it something you do because you grew up in it? I, I, I primarily, when I came on at Bethany here, I came on as a youth pastor. I think it was because I was 23 and they didn't really know what else to call me. And there was nobody else here working yet. And so they're like, well, let you hang out with kids, but you have to preach too from time to time. And, and so the, I, I deal with a lot of kids who are raised in the church. It's scary when I talk to them. I wasn't raised in the church. I, I, I don't know. I'm learning a lot. What, I, what, what I've learned is that they assume a lot. That's scary. They assume that because they've been around, 
these buildings, these people, they know, they know the rituals. They, they know the order of service. They, they, they know the songs. That that's why they're safe. And, and that's what makes them good. It makes, them, make, makes their parents happy. Or are you here for somebody else? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. Is this thing a mask? It was for them. You can see, it, like I said, it wasn't about the money, right? What it was about was that they wanted people to see them as the extra spiritual, extra good people. They didn't want to do it for God. And, and Peter calls it and he says, you're lying to God. We do this for him. The other one of this is this. Other question, number two. Do you understand Jesus as Lord or as your buddy? Is Jesus your friend? Is he your casual guy? Is he the guy that you walk around with? Like, I mean, I, I guess maybe I just don't get it. Anybody here ever heard that song, um, Jesus is a Friend of Mine? It's on YouTube. It's really cheesy and really funny. Go look it up tonight if you haven't seen it. You'll laugh really stinking hard. It's so funny. I wish I had a clip of it right now. I'd just play it. It's one of the funniest things. You've seen it. I can tell. Like, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. It's about like Jesus being this friend. And I want to say this right because I don't want to portray him as like this guy who's like sitting in heaven. It's like, I'm not your friend. He's God. How, how does the Bible describe him? He's Lord of Lord. He is King of Kings. Let's, let's just go there. I want to read it. It's one of my favorite. Revelation 19. I think I've done this like the last three times I've preached, but that's okay. Revelation 19, verse 11. This is Jesus. I get really excited about reading this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and, his head are, and on his head are many diadems, and he has name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of fury of wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of King, Lord of Lords. Weird story. Love it to death, though. Studied on your own time. It's... It, but it's, it's this story of understanding Jesus in his majesty as king. 
if we take Jesus and he's always just kind of like this buddy Jesus or, or Jesus is my homeboy, as people are familiar with the t-shirts, I own one. Um, it's okay. I, I, I got the Jesus on rollers on my desk. Like you can crank him back and he takes off and it looks like he's going to give you a hug as he comes across the desk. I understand all that. I, I got it. I have Jesus band-aids in my office. Um, somebody gave it to me as a gift. It came with a Jesus eraser and I'm not sure if that's blasphemous or not using Jesus as an eraser, but um, I haven't used that one. But if we always view him in that way, do you see what we do to him? He's not our God anymore. We're not serving him. We don't fear him. And when I say fear, a lot of times in our culture, we'll take that in such a way that it's like, how could you fear a good and loving God? Oh, you will fear God. When, 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 it, when it talks about how, how when, when God's presence came around people, they said that they dropped down in fear. It wasn't, it wasn't I, I mean, it, it's almost like you can't even describe it, but it says fear of awe, of pure amazement of, uh, of who God is. The pure fact that when, when, when humans have seen part of him in the Old Testament, that their face Shine that they had to put a veil over it like Moses did. That's God. God is your friend. And I'm not here to tell you he's not. I'm not here to tell you that God's just like this big thing in the sky that doesn't want to have a personal relationship with you and all these things. But I think something that has happened in the evangelical church is this, is that we've put portrayed Jesus so much as, I mean, how many of us have heard in here, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship? It's right. But we've used it to the point when it's just like, Jesus is my friend. He doesn't call out my sin. He doesn't send people to call me into repentance. All of a sudden, our Jesus hanging on the cross is smiling at us instead of being in the pure agony and torture and pain that he went through. And that's a wrong view of it. It's heavier than that. John 10, 18 says this. Let's, let's go there. Totally skipping around, but it's fun. Let's, go, let's start in verse 17, actually. 10, 17. For this reason, reason the Father loves me, this is Jesus speaking, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And here's where it gets cool. I, I love this verse. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. He's speaking about his life. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That's some power right there. That is Jesus saying, nobody takes my life from me. Do you understand that? Nobody killed Jesus. He laid it down. He's not weak. He's not wimpy. He's Lord. Is Jesus your buddy or is he your Lord? Because when he's your Lord, all of a sudden, his commands and stuff, the things that he calls us to, they're not just so flippant. We can't just ignore them. 
all of a sudden, our heart matters. It's important how we handle situations. It's important when these situations, like what we saw with Ananias and Sapphira come up, that all of a sudden we know that we're doing this because he is Lord, not so that people will give us their approval. It's because we want to serve our king. We talk a lot in this church about the difference between religion and Christianity, right? Religion is something that we do so that God will. It's a list of rules. You do this so that God will be happy with you, so that he'll be okay with you. Christianity says we do it because he has. Because he already did. He laid it down. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down. One of the things God does, and and I, I think it's what drew me to him so much, is that he can just take something like these people who think that they're killing this man and they're going to get rid of him. And all it does is it spurs on a movement that the world has never seen. That the heavenly realms of, of, of evil think that they have won. And Jesus is like, I'm Lord. You have not won. This was part of the plan from the beginning. That's your God. Number three. I love this one. Is Jesus bringing you into community? Now, that, that's a catchphrase right now. Huge in church. Are you in community? Or are you not in community? That mean, do, do you live in a house with 30 other people? Do you um, hang out with other people? Do you? No, I'm not knocking like the community house people because it's like, some of you guys live there right now, and I'm like, no, it's great. I, I love it. I'm, I'm. Community is a loose term, and so what I want to do real quick is I want to challenge you to live in biblical community. And if you're here and you're just checking this out and you want to know what this is about, this is what we strive for here. Biblical community. Not just community so we all have friends. I mean, that's great, but biblical community community. I'm going to tell you something. Biblical community is hard. I'm learning it. I'm learning it. And I'm learning it. One of the people I get to experience this with is uh, Tom, our our lead pastor here. Do you know how hard it is to have somebody come to you that you love and tell you when you're in sin? And not freak out on them and hate them for it? Do you know, in my opinion, almost how much harder it is to go to that person who's just killing their life and let them know that that's what they're doing? Biblical community. Here's how I define it. I define it in a few few ways. One, biblical community is full of love full of love and this is the kind of love I'm talking about 1 John 3 16 through 18 says this by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers that's the kind of love I'm talking about I'll die for you kind of love this is like um, band of brothers kind of love this is I'll do anything for you kind of love. This isn't I love tacos love. Okay? 
But if any, oh, where am I? I don't even know where I'm reading anymore. 316 through 18, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does, he, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the, wor- in the world or talk about it in deed and truth. This kind of love has action. Biblical community takes love, and it takes action. When I see a need, your your prayer isn't, man, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Consistency is in biblical community. That's a tough one, especially living in Gunnison. I mean, you can read it time. I won't go there for, for, for time's sake, but Hebrews 10 talks about how us coming together consistently is a good thing. That we can bear one another's burdens and, and not just here, right? Okay? If it's just here, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about calling up and checking on people. I'm talking about just stopping them. I'm talking about the family that has way too many kids and they're struggling. You don't even know why they're still having them, but they are, but you love them anyways. You're bringing them food when the dad's working the extra shifts. Being around them, doing those things, consistently being around your community. And Gunnison, I don't think this applies too much to this room, that means not taking the summers off from church. Drives me insane. My parents tell me, it's garbage. I'm just telling you now. If you don't have kids, I'm just telling you now. It drives me insane, the crap that I hear from parents when they say, guess what? We're taking the summer off, so my kid's not going to be around. That preaches a false gospel to your kid and to your family. That is not consistent. That is not biblical community. That's conditional community when it works for me. Two more. This one's kind of obvious, but it's important. Worship. Are we worshiping Jesus when we come together? And when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about just the songs we sing. Do we go out? Do we celebrate together? I had a guy this morning. I, mean, I just want to tell you a story. His name, his name is Bill. And I asked him if I could share, and he said it was cool. Bill um, came into my office the first time I met Bill, he came into my office to get counseling and he showed up hammered. Because he needed help with his alcoholism. He said he couldn't help it. So we sat there and we talked. It was rough. We didn't really get very far. The person coming into my office next gave me a weird look because my office smelled kind of funny. It was great. Um, But he's like, God's done it in me, man. Four weeks now. Four weeks he hasn't had a drop of alcohol. And he wants to know how he can help people. We need to celebrate that, man. I I need to take Bill out to eat. Not a bar. That would not be good. But we're going to go out. Me and Bill, we're going to worship. We're going to praise God for what he's done in his life. How many people look around and see what we do and go, man, look at that. People are weird, but they're so great. 
they are worshiping God when they go out to eat with each other, when they're hanging out with people. When people have victory, we need to celebrate that. That is biblical community. And it also means we need to worship when the person in the family loses somebody. That we don't come around and we don't give them all the answers. We're just there for whatever they need. I have a high schooler recently who, who has been going through that, lost his dad recently. And you know what? Some weird way, and like I was talking about earlier how God's just able to flip things upside down sometimes. We had this conversation. It was pure worship. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Just his thankfulness for the strength that God is giving him in his life. It was worship. We worship together. Yes, in song. Absolutely, we sing our brains out because we're going before the throne of God. We also worship when we go out to eat. We worship when people have victory. We worship when people are down. We worship together. Not alone. This thing was never meant to be done alone. Last one is this. Biblical community has this. Authenticity. It's real. It's not Ananias and Sapphira fake that they laid out for us. That's the tough one, I think. I mean, I really, like, I, I think the other ones are tough, but I think the authenticity one's really hard, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I, I'm not an outward guy. I mean, I get to come up here and everybody thinks I'm an extrovert because I'm up here and I get to do this. I, I'm really not. It's really hard for me to just be with people sometimes and really share. I'm a pretty close guy. My wife is just murdering that out of me, man. She's just killing me. She won't let it go. I do the fine. She's like, oh, no, it's not. Like, no, it's fine. And she's like, no, we're going to sit down and talk. She's so great at that. Authentic relationships is hard. It's so hard. For your own reading, Matthew 18 is a really good example of a very hard, authentic relationship. What that is, is that's how to confront a brother when they're in sin. How to go and tell somebody. Man, it's not, it's not cool. It's not fun. I'll get to the last point and then I'll, I'll wrap up. I, I just want to say this on, on the authentic one. All these together, love, consistency, worship, authenticity, and biblical community. We're going to have to fight for those things. I want you to get that. You're going to have to fight for it. There is no self-help book that will give it to you. One of the toughest things at this church is this, and I'm tempted with this daily. You know I could bring you a message that you really like? I, I know I could do that. I know that if my friend Austin, Austin, I hope you don't let me pick it on you tonight, man. 
You're just right there, so it's, it's easy. But if Austin and I have this relationship, and Austin is killing himself, whatever it is, if he, if he just can't get it together, and I sit there and I go, man, I wish something would, would happen with him. I don't have a very authentic relationship with him. You know how hard it is to go to somebody? I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. And just be like, and, and just come in brokenness. I mean, I've done it, and it's part of my job where I have to go to people and I have to say, do you see what you're doing? Do you see it? And sometimes they don't. One of, one of the things that has kept me going as a pastor, I mean, I've, yeah, granted, I've been doing it for four years. What do you do? I have lots of experience. Is, is, is a little slogan I keep in my head, and I heard it a long time ago, and I'm not a big, like, quick answers guy kind of thing, but just loving people isn't efficient. Loving people authentically is just not efficient. You know in this church that if you choose to become a member here, that you submit to the church leadership here? We're in the, we're, we're in the one percentile of churches. I'm not saying this to Tudor or Hona. I, it, it actually upsets me that more churches don't do this. We practice a thing called church discipline here. That's not easy stuff. Matthew 18 talks more about it. I don't, I don't have time to go into it tonight. But you need to know as a church and as leaders and as elders in this church, we dread those things. But because we want to be authentic, not because we have it figured out, we expect the people that come here to call us on it just as much. Because what happens if we don't? Let's just use church leadership. You can pick on me for a minute. What happens if the church leadership isn't authentic. Read the headlines, man. 3,500 churches in America will close this year, the doors for good. And I believe that the primary reason for that is inauthentic church leadership. Willing to just tell you anything you want to hear so that you're happy with it. Unwilling to let people speak into our lives. That's what kills pastors. And, and I mean, how many of us have heard this? We just never saw it coming. Can we just be honest that authenticity breaks down the process? Because you never get, like, like, just use me as an example, I would never get like, I, I, I'm not going to walk out of here tonight, and, and I'm not going to walk into the parking lot. There's not going to be some lady standing there saying, hey, do you want to cheat on your wife with me? But if that did, I'm really not going to have a big moral dilemma. No. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But what if Austin knows me? What if he knows that I'm struggling with pornography? What if he knows that one of my things is, is I, I'm, I'm just a lustful guy? What if, it, I mean, just go down the list. All these things. We never are just there all of a sudden, right? 
That's why authenticity is so important. God doesn't want us to get there. When all of a sudden we're using terminology like, I have no idea how I got here. Authenticity is really important in biblical community. I really did not plan on spending nearly that much time on that point. Last one is this. Number four. Will you submit to spiritual authority? Heavy ones, I, I know. Will you submit to people who are wise? Will you listen to them? Did you know that I'm sorry you're getting like a mini message on ecclesiology on like church leadership tonight. I don't know where that came from. It just kind of happened that way, I guess. First Timothy chapter 3 is a really good place to read about that, about what it means to be in this position. Did you know that here at this church, if you want to become an elder, just so you know, here at this church, an elder and a pastor are the same thing. We have elders in this church, but some are gifted in, in speaking and teaching up front, like Tom and I do. Some are gifted in other areas, and so you don't see them as up front. Some are gifted in just prayer, like you wouldn't believe, things like that. And so we have a lot, of, we have a couple others. Do you know that they go through six months of some just of the most rigorous, intense training before they can become that here? And if you read First Timothy 3, you'll see what it is. It just talks about all sorts of things. It talks about being a man above reproach. It talks about being thought of well in the community. It, thought, it goes through a whole list of things, and it's not easy. That's just an example of church leaders. I hope you've had good experiences, and I I apologize if you haven't. If you've had a church leader just burn you and tear you up, that is not right. I'm sure I've done it to people, and, and I hate it. But our goal for you is always restoration. You know what my job is? My job is to try to help out Jesus anyways he wants me to, to reconcile all things back to him. Just so happens he wants me to read his word to you and try to make it make sense. If we come to you as church leaders, we want to help you. Please understand that that's what it is. Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't really understand that, I don't think. Do you think for a second, I mean, we, we laugh when we read the story, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. Do, 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 you, do you think, can you just imagine for a second the time after Ananias has dropped dead? Peter's a pastor. One of his people just died. It says for three hours was the gap between when Sapphira came in. His heart just must have been going, please, Sapphira, please, Sapphira, God, please help her tell the truth. We don't want her to lie. We don't want her to please me. We want her to please you. It's not about the money, God. I, I know it's not. Help her, help her. I, I, it doesn't tell us that, but it's there. 
We love you guys. We love you to death. So when we bring you hard messages like this, please don't take it in a way that thinks we're coming down on you. It's really not that. So we're going to take communion here in a second. Ryan's going to come up and play. And is it possible to be plugged in on every level? To know the scriptures, to know the songs, to know how to do it all, to how to walk the walk, but yet not know Jesus as Lord, to not have real authentic community, to not have some sort of spiritual authority in your life. It is. Was Judas Iscariot a disciple? Yeah, he was. Did he follow Jesus? Yes, he did. Did he know how to do everything? He sure did. But when it came down to it and they went around the table that last night and they said, yes, Lord, it came to him and he said, yeah, teacher. He knew all this stuff, but Jesus was never Lord. He was just a teacher. My challenge for us tonight is primarily that. We need to make Jesus Lord of our lives. Submitting it all. Understanding that it's not going to be easy, that it's going to be very difficult. If we're not there, you're not there. We, we understand that. That's fine. It takes time. Right? Mainly, I, we just want you to be honest. Matt Chandler says it's the best. If this church thing is a hobby, go buy a boat. That's a much better hobby. So as you come up to take communion tonight, I, I, I don't know where this leads you. Maybe this leads you somewhere where you, you need to find that authentic community. Maybe it leads you somewhere where you're like, man, I need to talk to somebody. I need help now because there's nobody else around that will do it. That's a tough thing to do. Maybe you need to repent because you're like, I've had that relationship and I haven't talked to the person yet. Maybe tonight's the night you make that decision that you're going to do that. Not in a judgmental way. Let's just be clear on that. I don't want a bunch of people leaving here going finding people and, be, and like headhunting. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about loving people here. Maybe it's been a while since Jesus is Lord or maybe he's never been Lord. Maybe he's always been teacher. If that's you, I would encourage you to do one of two things. One being this is, is, is that when we take Lord's Supper, it's a really big deal for Christians. I'm not trying to force you into anything here, but just don't come up and take it. This represents the shed blood and beaten body of our Savior. It's a big deal. Just avoid it for tonight. Just let it go. Nobody's going to judge you here. You don't have to take it. Or, as I did, I accepted, I, I accepted him. I said, you are my Lord. I want you to be my Lord. And then at the same time, I got to take 
Lord's Supper is my way of accepting him for the first time and just praying with the pastor there, we'd love to do that with you, if that's you. If you're a Christian, we encourage you to take it. We take, encourage you to do it in a state of just quietness and understanding of what this is. A deep sense of repentance, but also understanding that he's restoring you. He's doing work in you. This isn't a, this is, this is, remember that thing, God takes ugly things and makes them really beautiful. It's exactly what this is. We encourage you to take it together. Take it on your own time. You don't have to take it now. I'll hang out until, if you need to sit here for an hour until you decide to take it, that's fine. Um, how this is going to go is, Ryan's just going to play. We're going to turn in the lights and you just come take it on your own time. Take it with people if you want. Take it as friends. Pray for each other. Do that kind of thing. Once that kind of sense that we're kind of there, I'll come up and I'll just pray and I'll, I'll release us for the night, but you're welcome to stay and use this sanctuary for exactly that, to be a sanctuary for you for a while if you need it. Honestly, we do love you. Use this time.